So in grade three, um, in our group of friends, the sort of ringleader was this uh, one white girl who was blonde and blue-eyed, and the majority of us were actually Asian. And she taught us this rhyme one day that you may be familiar with, where you mm-hmm. put your fingers at the corners of your eyes, pull them up and say Chinese, pull your lip down, Japanese, both have dirty knees. Oh. And this was, and I just remember thinking, like, that's really weird. Why do we, why is there a rhyme about this? And we're like, oh, okay, because, you know, your kids and you sort of feel uncomfortable, but you don't know any better. And I remember I went home mm-hmm. and I was like, mom, this is what, this is what this person told, um, showed me today. And I did. And she was just horrified. <laughs> She's like, what? This, yes. That is unacceptable. Yeah, she has <laughs> every reason to be horrified. That's not what you learn at school. But I don't know. I think it's one of those inadvertent things that people do learn a lot. Um, yeah, I think that's the only racist rhyme I learned from from school. Anyway, I don't think I learned any racist rhymes. I don't. I never learned that one. But I did also. I, I remember at, in like grade seven, we did have um, another girl who was from Hong Kong and was a more recent immigrant. She had a, a story, like a a joke that was racist, but it was like pro Asian. And the story went something like okay. this, like that God was baking human beings, and the first time He t- decided to try and bake them he burned them and those became black people. And then like he tried to bake mm-hmm. them again and he didn't get enough time and they were underdone and those are white people. And then he baked them just right and those became all the yellow people. Okay. Yeah. And then she, I remember she was repeating it like quite a bit and then she did get in trouble because then the teacher was like, uh, that's not acceptable. <laughs> but apparently there's some other version of the Chinese Japanese thing. Like I wasn't aware that there's other variations on it, but apparently I know the wrong version according to my friend Dexter. Uh, I mean... Yeah, that that's not the real. Version. How does it go? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dairy ask, but how does it really uh, go? I mean, so it gets worse. So basically, okay. it's, it's Chinese, and you raise your eyes up or down. I don't remember which one. Japanese, dirty knees, and then you grab your shirt and you pull it out as though you had a breast. What? And say, look at these. Oh, I do oh. remember that part. Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees. Look at these. Is how it goes. Okay, oh. I do remember that part, but I don't know if we understood the boob part. <laughs> I mean, we were like six. And what eight, is the so, irony I mean, of that? How, how much do you need to understand? You understand <laughs> how to be offensive, but you don't understand like boobs. Like I don't know. That's it's just like a, well, I don't know. Like boobs were just sort of a ridiculous thing. I just I don't remember it necessarily having a boob. Like I'm not sure what we how thought. How old were you guys again? We were also like six or seven. Okay. Oh no, it's so horrible. Either way, it's just come on. If you're gonna be racist, also no, 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 what boobs are. So you want to start the show now? Welcome back to another session of PhD Divas. This is Liz. This is Zain Yao. And we just wanted to first say thank you to everyone who's already listened and given us great feedback. We really appreciate it. Um, to all the moms out there who are on their children's Facebook page, keep liking. <laughs> now that said, I have a confession that I've been wanting to tell Zion for a very, very long time. Um, actually, to be honest, I've just wanted to tell somebody. In high school, I tutored Asian kids in math. I want, like, I've always wanted to say that, so I go, uh-huh. bam, in your face. What? <laughs> in, in whose face exactly? But <laughs> I never thought it out that far. <laughs> it's like, what? What? You don't know what calculus is? Oh, let me help you. Oh, oh, you want to know what, my, what I got on my homework assignment? Are you sure? Okay. But never to the person I was tutoring. We were actually really great friends, and actually we still are friends. So I, I really appreciate that, um. But still, I wanted to tell somebody in your face. Yeah, well, I would have to turn to you for calculus homework. I never even learned calculus, which oh, I'm, I'm kind of proud of. I'm sorry. You should not be proud of that. <laughs> so 
uh, related to to Liz overturning racial stereotypes. Wait, so you're not you're okay? Our friendship is okay, even though like yeah, I just tutored I Asian people in math. I, why would it not be okay? That means that if we go out together, I expect you to figure out the check. Mm, okay. No, I have an iPhone for that. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. But sort of apropos of this whole racialization of math, I thought that it'd be also interesting to bring up this very bizarre tweet that I got on Twitter after I tweeted um, a picture and some endorsement of the recent Black Lives Matter rally on Cornell's campus. And I got this random tweet from someone that I don't know. Uh, and their name on Twitter is something like Ching Chong Gang. And they said, uh, tweeted to me, us Asian peeps got to stick together, make the whitey and blacky think we support them. Then we can take over. Hashtag math power. And I like to think that a part of, um, of the many thoughts I had while looking at this tweet and I screen capped it and sent it to Liz was, I'm like the worst person to have for hashtag math power. I'm not going to be helping the... <laughs> yellow peril cause quote unquote <laughs> with my math power as someone who like happily fit, stopped doing math as soon as it was was no longer mandatory in high school and so i never you should have calculus. helped with english that's what you really should have done you should have replied back actually it's together and whitey and blackie don't make sense <laughs> hashtag english english power well <laughs> i'm okay i mean i'm expecting you more sophisticated than that but you should have it's also twitter but anyways, this seemed like a really, I thought our two anecdotes would be a really interesting jumping off point to talk about the way that like our different disciplines get gendered and racialized. And obviously mm-hmm. with Liz um, ending up as someone in physics and STEM and me ending up in, in English literature. What are the odds? Yeah, we've sort of taken rather divergent paths from I the I think stereotypes. that's why we're friends. I think the universe said that they need to have more equilibrium of how things are supposed to be. So maybe there's an Asian girl doing English and there's a black girl doing physics. But if we join together, we're then like a whole person. we can like mix it up. Yeah. We're not actually like cool people until we came together. Okay, that's not true. Or like you're the, you're the mo- more you're the more Asian part of me, so you can supplement my. And you're the like, wait, you're the black part of me. What? Okay, that part doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, we're friends. <laughs> Go on. We'll bring out the better point about stereotype threat. Yeah, so it seemed like an interesting thing to talk about. There's been so many studies in psychology by Claude Steele and other individuals about how stereotype really affects um, different types of performance, but particularly academic performance. And there's been a lot of studies done about how um, girls are dissuaded from math very early on because of stereotype threat, Mm -hmm. especially even from female teachers, that these female teachers um, in one study um, are so anxious about their own ability to put to do math in mm-hmm. elementary school that demo- um, that it actually affects um, female students by the end of the class and that they do worse and believe are more likely to believe that women aren't good at math, whereas um, the performance of boys isn't affected at all. Yeah, I, f- I find that really interesting. Um, I guess I can see that happening. I'm trying to think about my personal experiences, and I don't. I'm not actually sure I had before I went to. Um, a magnet school. I'm not sure if I had experience with a math of a, a math teacher who was a woman. So I'm not really sure, but but I do know that you, you get lots of signals. A lot of them unconscious, like not unconscious, but unspoken, nonverbal cues mm-hmm. that women are not good in science, or just the lack, the silence, the lack of affirmation, the lack of positive, hey, you can do this, or the lack of just I think transparency. What I would say about the anecdote that I gave about tutoring um, one of my classmates who happened to be Asian in, in math is that 
it showed me that it just broke down the stereotype for me it made mm-hmm. it like he's he's asian and he he's not good at math he's really great at art he's really great at um English. I was going to say reading, but that didn't sound like, you know, he's really good at reading. Um, that's not what I meant, but he was very, very artistic. And so for me, it just said, like, this is bull. This doesn't matter. Um, okay. I'm, you're good at what you're good at. Everyone has different tastes or different strengths and color has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I also mentioned that we're, we'd be talking about um, today's topic with another friend of mine who's Korean and mm-hmm. also from Toronto. And she mentioned that she's like, after a while she realized like that's why other kids wanted to copy her homework was because she's Asian. But little did they know that she actually sucked. <laughs> so they did terribly because they copied off her math homework. <laughs> no, the funny thing is actually when I was little, I used to be very good at math. I was actually, I think, just as strong or better than I was at language. Mm-hmm. And part of that... Um, was that my parents also put me into Kumon. Have you heard of Kumon before? No. It's this thing that I feel like a lot of Asian kids in North America get put into, like these after-school classes. It's like a school? Yeah, it's like an after-school. Okay. Yeah, to teach us how to be what? Where are you going with that, list? Asian? <laughs> well, I also went to Chinese school, but that's a that's a different matter. Um, but yeah, we would be sent to additional classes after school that would um, accelerate our math learning. Oh, okay. Uh, Had nothing to do with being Asian, getting better. But a lot of us were Asian. Okay. And it's sort of like known as like an Asian thing. Got it. Um, culturally. Um, it's like one of those things where I will meet other like Asian Canadians or Asian Americans and we'll be like, oh, yes, piano. You know, <laughs> piano, Kumon. But anyways, like the thing is, like I, I really enjoyed it because there's something about the pleasure of numbers and like that felt really, I don't know, intellectually intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And I sort of liked the way that my mind worked when I was computing these things. Mm-hmm. But there's this element where the Kumon stuff, like that, for every test that you take, they sort of graph your progress, and so it almost became oh. like a sort of competition for myself. Like, oh, to what, what is the highest uh, percentile I can end up here? It's not just I got everything right. How fast can I complete it? How cl- and so after a certain point, I sort of just got sick of um, putting myself in this mold of having to be more and more competitive. And I sort so in of a way up- that Kumon is that what yeah, it's called? Kumon, yeah, that might have actually turned you off of math. Yeah, the hyper, the pressure, the expectation to be good at yeah. it. Yeah, but also that. I was also got really bored of just doing math homework. Like, oh my god! I'm sorry. I just thought I just I just thought it was extremely boring to just practice math homework. Whereas, like reading is just fun. You go into all these magical worlds. It's hard, sort of hard to compare. Math is a magical world. It is a language of the physical world. I guess. Maybe do, do you want to get a little bit into how obsessed you are with math, Liz? No, I used to think I. I actually. Now my, my work is more interdisciplinary, and so I, to be honest, I'm doing less physics than I, than I did in undergrad or even in high school, but I used to think differential equations and probably, you know, the quadratic equation, that was, like, my thing. I loved solving these little quadratic, they're like little mm-hmm. puzzles. So people do Sudoku, I would do these equations. <laughs> it was really fun. I really liked it. I really liked solving differential equations and just trying to... Um, articulate the world in math in terms of math like how much um, money will I have Mm -hmm. in 10 more years or what is the rate of change of this angle or or daylight or even people sometimes like I've always thought of um, my attraction to people as like a force attraction like um, the farther away they are the less I like I don't know some people I want to keep farther away I'm like oh we're inversely you know, we're inversely related. Like, you're too close <laughs> to me. This is, yeah, I used to do weird physics things like that. Just use my language to talk about that. Also, 
I mean, the reason why I went to boarding school was because my high school did not have physics. And the high school was calculus. And I wanted physics. And I wanted to take math classes. And so this person came to my school and then showed us the course catalog. And the course catalog was written for me. That was it. I knew what I wanted to do. So much math. Yay. Actually, that's true. And then you have to submit like two. Actually, this is the really nerdy part. You're going to mm-hmm. actually, you don't know this about me yet. I don't think. Okay. So we had to submit these two, um, like, what are they? Two works of art or two works, two submissions of like our work quality. So I actually made a website. And mind you, this is a website back in. 2003 so it's like more, geocities yeah like, like yahoo google at, site like uh-huh. something it was angel really fire yeah i made a site about nuclear fission and nuclear fusion that's really that's I did. cute oh it was really great <laughs> i'm looking back at it now like that was really nerdy but i did that and then i i got in and then i loved it and i took more than one math class a semester more than one science class um, they made you take biology, chemistry, and physics. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of those classes. And it was fun. I also did choir. I did band. I didn't know how to play an instrument, actually. I <laughs> told her that I knew how to play the piano, and she put me on the xylophone. I just sat in the back and, like, practiced really, really, <laughs> really hard. Because I was never in band before. Uh, but anyway, the point is that I loved math. It was like a language to me. Mm-hmm. And getting it just made me feel really affirmed. And, um, and that was how I re- resonated, how I clicked with physics. Because mm-hmm. it felt like, oh, I understand what's happening now. And I would try to go out and see what was happening mm-hmm. and then try to explain it. Yeah. Like, I feel if I had been taught math differently, it could be diff- it could I would perhaps have a different relationship to it. Like, I remember reading this one book that was discussing how, like, we don't teach um, children math very well. Like, we teach them how to do, like, think about sets or stuff, other things like that, like, on a very rudimentary level, but mm-hmm. you don't actually explain what the function of these things are. Like, they don't teach you how to think. Yeah, they don't teach you how to think. And then I remember... Um, a couple of years ago, I had this conversation with like this mathematician from, I think, Switzerland or something like that, like, sort of a random exchange where we're talking about our different disciplines. And the way that she's talking about like the philosophy of math and like the, the sort of abstraction and the beauty of the ideas, I was like, you know, this is really cool. But unfortunately, I was never taught that. Instead, it was just like really boring sets of, of numbers I had to like do. And it was just really tedious. And it was <gasps> getting between me and my books. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that, that's also a sign when I work with students now I think one of the biggest things I try to get them to think about is not only what they're good at, but what they actually like doing. Because at this stage, you do things, you're, you're great at doing a lot of things. And that actually makes deciding what you want to do in your life really hard. But then you are able to figure out, I'm, I'm good at math. I'm good at English, but I actually enjoy doing English mm-hmm. more. And maybe because, of, I don't know, maybe it's just lazy about doing math homework, whereas English work didn't feel like work in the same way to me. Yeah, well, well physics didn't seem like hard work to yeah. me. In fact, I thought engineering sounded hard, hmm. and that's why I did physics, which is... But now you're an engineer. Cringe. I'm going where the money is. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I, I, again, I, I do interdisciplinary work, and that often means that the department that it's held in is not necessarily indicative of the kind of research that I get to oh, do okay. in those fields. Because huh. everything's kind of merging now. I've always been interested in, in imaging. Mm-hmm. So again, seeing the world, it kind of makes sense that way and just just some context for people who don't know Liz she's in biomedical engineering right now oh yeah doing cancer research I yes Zion knows me very well 
So also uh, talking about stereotype threat, it wasn't just that I enjoyed English, but there's this element of defiance for me mm -hmm. that not only was I brought up um, reading far beyond my grade level, just because my family was able to just had access to a ton of books and my, my parents brought me to the library all the time when I was young. But even though my, my elementary and high school were in areas where it was almost half Asian, there was a lot of anti-Asian sentiments. Mm -hmm. And I remember like through elementary school, through high school, having other kids, white kids yelling at me and my friends, like go back to Hong Kong, speak English, things like that. Even though, that, that's of course, horrible. even though I was born in, in Canada and actually I was far better at them. And so there was this way, not only did I enjoy English, but I got this perverse pleasure in being the top English students in all my classes. So it was like <laughs> an extra like element. Not only do I enjoy doing this, but I'm really sticking it to you. So you were doing it in your face as well. Yeah, pretty much. Like there's a <laughs> Sort of element of like you want me you want me to speak English actually I speak English far better than you I'm far more literate than you I've I'm far better read than you are so there is um, yeah, def this definite aspect of defiance for me but it's also sort of interesting that because I um, and I, and so this is also one reason why going back to one of our earlier podcasts I'm talking about uh, women in STEM why inclusion isn't enough like definitely I, I was brought up in schools where it was a very diverse environment mm -hmm. but that didn't stop people from yeah. saying crap um yeah if anything they make you the exception yeah is what i what, what my experience was so like oh you're different than other black people or you're different than other mm -hmm. like black women that i know I'm like no i'm not no no i mean i'm different but that doesn't mean that i don't understand mm -hmm. like you, you're still insulting me by yeah. by insulting those other people yeah or there's a way that they're trying to use you as a wedge again against another group, right? Yeah, it's not okay to say to them or to me, actually, but they think it's okay to say to me because they're not talking about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, I, when I think about... I think that I liked physics. I genuinely liked it. And I think you kind of have to to start because it, the culture of physics itself is one where uh, the genius stereotype, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you have to be a genius to get in or to actually get to do it. And um, one of the things I think about starting out was that it took a lot of perseverance because there actually weren't people in my community around me telling me that I could do physics the way that I learned that other people had gotten that kind of, you're a genius, you should, this is what mm -hmm. you should be doing, you, this is a place for you. Definitely how a lot of people say, you know, I, again, I was this weird 12-year-old who just said, I'm going to study physics. Literally from 12, I said I was doing physics. And... People would say, oh, wow, you're good in math. You're like, but you're a black, you're a black woman. Or we need more of you because nobody around here knows how to do math. Or, it was just this pervasive, wow, like of surprise that I would actually even be able to do it. And even when I got to the math and science school where there were more, again, there's a high density of like, these are the smartest people in the whole state, theoretically. Mm -hmm. the, the people who apply. There are people who didn't apply who are also equally smart. So you have this high density of people and I'm still being called out. It's like, wow, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're good at this. Mm -hmm. Are you sure you want to take like the AP physics class? Are you sure you want to do this? This might be too much for you. I'm like, I don't understand. Why would this be too much for me? Mm -hmm. But that was definitely the message I was getting and what people were saying. I still remember this one time. I, it was a modern physics exam and I see these guys running down the hall and they come towards me and they go, I can't believe I got beat by a girl. Oh God. And that was their first response. So mind you, I didn't know what I made on the exam. They, the grades were just coming out. And, um, 
they just knew that I got the highest grade. And actually, I got the highest grade by about 25 points. Nice. Well done, Liz. <laughs> In your face. <laughs> um, but it didn't matter to me. I actually, that, I really wasn't thinking of it that way. It was just that their response was, I can't believe I got beat by a girl. Mm-hmm. And that they couldn't, and they were actually asking me for my score because they knew that I got the highest score, but they uh-huh. didn't know the number, right? They didn't know that that's something they basically failed. I just kind of like, uh-huh. you know, got it's, did really, really, really well on, and yeah. that happens. It's funny. I did a, a somewhat similar experience in undergrad. I remember the first week of going to University of Toronto, and we were lining up for like you know one of those things you have to just line up for uh, when you're in your first week mm-hmm. and I was just by myself and I didn't know anyone yet and there's a group of um, other um, freshmen nearby that were laughing mm-hmm. and then one of them came over and they obviously had asked me made some sort of bet because like you know that when you're first meeting everyone in university it's always like what's your name what's your major and so he's like let me guess what your major is and I was like okay is it pre-med no is it commerce? No. Is it math? No. Is it engineering? Really no. Horrible, I'm guessing. I, I, no, it was like basically this gamut of all these like technical STEM, Asian stereotypical things. And after he went through like about five different options, he finally said, and this was, um, and of course this guy was white and all his friends were white. Were, well, so what is your major? I said, English literature. And then I got this particular sense of pleasure of winning the English Lit Award every year I was there mm-hmm. um, for being the top student. And so there's this yeah, additional in your face for this. I'm yeah. going to do this and I'm going to be the best. Um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Also, you're just awesome. You well, exude awesome design. Awesome that's why we're friends. Not just that we somehow <laughs> overcome each other in some like weird stereotype compensation yeah. type of way. There is a negative side to this, though, because always fighting. I have to admit that when I actually got to Penn, which mm-hmm. so I went to um, Penn as an undergrad, and um, and it was an Ivy League, and mm-hmm. I got the best, like, no one had as great a deal as I did. Uh-huh. And I actually got a lot of slack for that. They kept asking me what minority scholarship I did to get. Oh, yeah. And that just doesn't even make sense. That's not how the Ivies work. At any rate... I did, it took me a semester to realize that I was putting more pressure on myself than necessary. Mm-hmm. That I actually, because of all the passive aggressive things I had heard my entire life about what I wanted to do and not really having any role models. So really I did, I knew I wanted to do physics, but I didn't know if I could genuinely. Mm-hmm. And not just because of the, in addition to the things that I was hearing, it was also because I didn't know what it was. I didn't know any real people. I knew books that I read. I knew about Albert Einstein and um, Mary Curie and people like that. So I literally thought that I had to be good in physics or else everyone was going to think that black people just weren't good in physics. Mm-hmm. And I went into my classes like that and I, I worked really hard, but I think it started to stress me out and mm-hmm. actually have a negative impact both on my health and in terms of my ability to actually do well in my classes. Yeah, this, like literally yeah. having test anxiety, um, being afraid to talk to people, not finding groups, not knowing how to interact with people because I feel like if I wasn't right the first time, they didn't hear me. Just not understanding that certain things weren't about my intelligence or my capacity. It was about how I was interacting. Was I studying? Was I just other things? Mm-hmm. And I guess like for me, it's been sort of difficult as well because now that I have more perspective on my discipline, the fact that I'm proud of English sort of shows the extent to which I've been colonized, so to speak, like mm. that I, I don't 
can't speak English. I'm sorry, speak Chinese, that is. Mm-hmm. And so it shows to some extent how I've internalized this uh, Western civilization. And as there's so many problematic elements to that. But at the same time, um, I've also realized that there aren't very many of me in my discipline either. There's only one Asian person in my department now. Mm-hmm. I was the only Asian graduate student and there was no Asian F faculty during my master's program. I wasn't taught by anyone who was Asian until my last year of undergrad um, mm. in English. And something that I didn't entirely recognize because it took me a long time to recognize myself and things. Like I sort of ended up, I ended up when I was younger, I used to be a total um, Anglophile and thought of myself more in that regard than I did think of myself as being Chinese Canadian. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me a long process of being able to be, of accepting myself um, and yeah, yeah, being able to find my place with what I'm good at that it doesn't erase other parts of my identity, if that makes any sense. I'm the white girl trapped in a black girl's body. Yeah, or like um, a lot of other Asian <laughs> Not friends. Not really, but that's what I was, yeah, that's like what a I lot was of, called. Yeah, a lot of other Asian um, kids would tell me, even like I got that like last semester, that they thought I was half white just because mm-hmm. I was good at um, English. Something I've had since elementary school till now. Yeah, I, I wish I had a good answer for that. And I, I can honestly say, though, for people who are reading and maybe going through similar things, that I kind of had an awakening in the in the last few years because I definitely was aware that I was the only black person and when I mean the only black person I was the only black person in my class or even the only black person I saw in one day just Mm -hmm. because my major was so different and there was only one black faculty member in the sciences at that point at Penn at Penn at Penn there was only one and I was also the only woman in my class and so there would be times where the professor would say oh you guys know what I'm talking about it's like because we're all white like he actually one time said we're all white men here and I'm like oh my god (laughs) whoa (laughs) whoa (laughs) like come on and the third the women's restroom they had urinals that flushed because I I tried it I did (laughs) not not to use it not to use it but I, I tried, judge. that's really, never mind. That's another, that's another session, how to use a man's restroom. They have devices for that. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that they actually worked and that I actually one time went into the restroom to cry actually. And then I saw the urinals and I thought, am I in the wrong restroom? And I actually mm-hmm. went back out and like, nope, this is right. All right, great. But it takes time. I had to actually realize that I wasn't doing myself any favors by trying to be less um, frightening or threatening to people. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing people favors because, you know, if they're looking to me, if they think that this is how black people act, then can I really blame them later on for, I mean, I can, but Mm -hmm. the point is with my friends, I need to be myself. They need to know what's okay, what's not okay. And also I'm going to be a happier person if I'm not always trying to guard myself every second of the day. Mm -hmm. Or worry about braids. Actually, I, I like wearing braids for that very reason. Or um, being a, being afraid of being called sassy or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I just had to let it go. Yeah. And, like, realize that I am both things. So, yes, I'm doing something traditionally. Or there's only, there's only 80 people in the U.S. with peace. Only 80 black people. Black women, sorry. 80 black women with PhDs in the U.S. in physics. Wow. Yeah, then we actually know their number. Uh-huh. So, like, they number, like, you know who number four is, mm-hmm. number four talks, number 20. Huh. And um, just being from that kind of community. And so I'm from this population of people, and I, I like things that maybe normal people don't like. And as a PhD, just in general, like, 1% of the population anyway. 
so I can still be that and also like my trap music or my my soul Mm -hmm. R&B music I can be all of those things they don't my color does not dictate it doesn't by far dictate who I really am and I had to be comfortable with that and people may not know that when they first see me that's perfectly Mm -hmm. fine no one knows anyone when they first see someone Mm -hmm. right but I think it's about being open to all the possibilities about what you learn with other people mm-hmm. about people. Because um, I never like when people say like, oh, well, the stereotype has a grain of truth. And then usually they stop there and it becomes like this sort of way that they just sort of rely on stereotype. But like mm-hmm. a stereotype might be a way that on an unconscious level, you give you some sort of frame of knowledge for someone, mm-hmm. but you should be ready to discard it, I think. I've found that by being open, that's what I've actually connected with people the most. Mm-hmm. And that's when people are like, you know what? Everyone says I should like this, and I really don't. And they'll whisper, and it's like, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you just open up, and you realize people really aren't what they are. And I've done this enough to realize nobody's really what they look like mm-hmm. on the outside. And if they're not what they are on the outside, then I'm going to allow myself that same freedom. So, yeah. Zion, we've, I feel so much closer to you. Uh, fist bump? Yes. Fist, fist bump. bump. Boom. And one more. In your face. Yeah, and your face to everyone who said that we couldn't make it or thought made us feel like we didn't belong. Like, look at us now. We've got our own podcast. It's on iTunes. Oh, yeah, it's on iTunes. Yeah, we're on iTunes and we're Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. We're on SoundCloud. <laughs> I was going to say we're on your mom, but that's so bad. Anyway. We so- are on people's moms because they're liking it on our social media platforms. So check us out and be sure to tune in next time. And subscribe. And thanks for listening. This is Zain Yao. And this is Liz. Bye. (laughs) We're on your mother. (laughs) We're on your mom.